Welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, where today we'll be continuing our discussion of Masonry Isn't Dying, It's Refining by Robert H. Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our thoughts and opinions are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions via our website at theworkingtoolspodcast.com. Today on the Working Tools Podcast, we have our our same cast of three quarters of us that we had at, uh, last episode. I'm very worshipful brother Matthew Apple, a member of Mill Creek Lodge number 243 here in uh, Montlake Terrace, Washington. We have worshipful brother Jared Dunham from Penticton number 147 in Penticton, British Columbia. And very worshipful brother uh, David Colbeth, who is a member of King Solomon number 60 in Auburn, Washington. And uh, I would encourage you, if this is your first episode, to go back and listen to the previous episode because we started talking about this article by Robert H. Johnson, which uh, is on the Midnight Freemasons uh, blog and is, as we said earlier, is uh, is brief but meaty. And it's got a lot of, lot of interesting stuff in there. And uh, David, before the last episode ended, you were about to say something pithy, and I cut you off in my, <laughs> my usual manner. So did you have a, a pithy comment to make? I don't know how pithy it was. Now I'm not exactly sure where we... Oh, what was it? Yeah, no, we were talking about... Uh, how, you know, how, how did I frame it in our in our blue room? Now I can't remember how we how we framed it. Was it was it that uh, membership? I don't know. I'm gonna have to cut this piece out because now I don't remember. <laughs> I went out to get a drink and now I don't remember. Between your inability to remember and my inability to stop sneezing, this is quite the episode. <laughs> we got going here. I, I am totally drawing a blank. I don't know why. We were you were talking about Shriners. Yeah, we get we ended up on oh, the Shriners. Was it was it that it was? Oh, because you, the article you had pulled up about the eighteen hundreds, mm. and how how the same problems exist all the time. Okay, so so David, so, in our last episode, <laughs> you were about to say something pithy about the uh, article that we were reading before I cut you off. Do you happen to recall what that was? We should make a bloopers episode of this. That's going to be a break. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, just no, we, we, we can just I'll, I'll just I'll figure out how to meld it together. So yeah, like we were talking about in the last episode, that we I was hoping it would be fun to to know exactly what was really happening in the late late eighteen hundreds and early nineteen hundreds because in the article that you provided about Mackey saying that they were there was a lack of education in the lodges, and so I was saying, isn't it interesting? It's kind of like history that they only write down usually only write down the good stuff. And so what what was really happening in the 1800s and the 20s and the 40s and the 50s? And do we really, really know what was happening? We only know what they wrote down. And some of the guys maybe in the 40s and 50s are still around, but not many of them are left anymore. So we really don't know what may have been happening during those times. And so is there a way to know? <laughs> maybe Masonic Lodges have always been social lodges and we just, and we think we don't want them to be social lodges, and so we we make up that idea. And in, in, our, in the blue room, Jared was I didn't remember when the what we were saying about the Shriners. Well, we know that we know that lodges were serious because the reason that the shrine was formed 
to my recollection, was because they wanted a more social, they, they wanted to be le less serious and more social. So the shrine was formed for that purpose. And as I said, we can go back and look at that. We can look at the, the, the appendant bodies and concordant bodies that are created and when they're created and their purpose for when they're created and get an idea of what lodge was sort of like because if if you if you felt it was necessary enough to form a new organization just to have fun in lodge then obviously lodge was a serious thing in the late 19th century because when shrine was formed late 19th century and of course as i said is you know and they had the reputation of being sort of the you know the, the the party their conventions tended to get a bit rowdy and raucous and uh, to my understanding that the the shrine hospitals came out of the fact that they needed a sort of an image upgrade because they were having a hard time finding places to have their conventions and that the, the they needed a more of a purpose than just getting together and partying um, but please no shriners get mad at me if i'm mistaken i'm just saying what i think if if i recall correctly from my readings please comment below <laughs> <laughs> but you but you can you can trace so we can sort of trace the like what lodges were like you know just from those kind of uh occurrences yeah so if it's interesting you think though and matt made a comment last time about how there was likely an influx or, or maybe it was you jerry that was likely an influx from the civil war i think it was matt uh the civil war after the civil war there was an influx of membership as well and so maybe these ideas follow the influx of masons and so you, which would have followed right along the lines of when the shrine was formed. And so maybe there is a serious lodge level membership. <laughs> and then as the influx of Masons come in and we say, wait a minute, this is too, too serious. We need to have an outlet for that. And they formed in this case, they actually formed a whole new organization, Shriners and other pendant groups to, to satisfy that social aspect. And then when it became more serious during the, Great Depression. Other times they said, "Hey, we, you know, we got to." That downflow may have just been an side effect and not really a dive to seriousness, if you will, or a dive to traditional masonry. But it couldn't find itself because before it bottomed out, if you will, then we had the influx from World War II in that era. At least, again, these are all the United States numbers, specifically from the graphs we showed last week. But and you find the MSA, but. You know, maybe as we've kind of talked about, we've kind of come around the whole circle. Maybe it is a dive to serious masonry or dive to a traditional masonry. But what is tradition? How far back do we need to go to find what is tradition? 1717. <laughs> Boy, that's a, that's pretty late in the game. Back to the Templars. Back to the construction of the pyramids. No. Well, uh, I was thinking. I was thinking about that today. Like. You know, we like to wear suits in lodges, and we we recommend that suits are an an idea. So, but the, the idea of a suit was invented, if you will. And so, at what point did that change and become a suit? I mean, there was different. We talked about the idea of meeting in taverns. And tavern in our language is not the same as the word tavern before. It's more of a social event. And so, if I can imagine masons meeting in a community place, in the top of a restaurant, if you will, or tavern, a social gathering place, what would they be wearing? Would they dress up to go to that event, do you think? Well, they, or would it, would it have just been the work clothes of the day? 
Well, okay. So you, what you have to understand is that we... For those of you, you who aren't watching the, the video of this, Jared is right now rubbing his hands together in glee before he... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, because fashion history is, a, is another sort of weird passion of mine. Um, you have to understand that North Americans are... A very, we as North Americans dress a lot more casually than anywhere. Like we've always been a very more casual dressing society but the idea of a, a suit of clothes i mean in say the, the in in the early grand lodge era they would have worn what we would probably refuse to think of as a suit of clothes it would have worn breeches and a waistcoat and a jacket and a cravat or what you know and so and as it progressed like and so when you get into even the 19th century like with the frock coats and everything there was always like a man always wore a suit of clothes and so that I would I would agree probably at a AM communication or at a large event, but at a regular meeting yes. that you met every Monday night or every Friday night or whatever, would he always wear that? Okay, you have yes, because you have to remember that. Okay, so the people that were the main members of Freemasonry were the upper echelon, higher echelons of society. Elite, yeah. That what you wore, especially in British society, the time of day dictated what you wore. Yeah. But like the idea of like, so the, yeah, we, we think of the tuxedo as being the epitome of formal attire now, but in the late 19th century, when it was first introduced, it was actually considered too casual to wear to dinner. So you get an idea of what people were wearing as casual clothes. So going, going to, you know, so I'm as people that went to lodge would have worn a, a suit like as we would know it today, you know, a, a, a tailored coat and pants and it was it was like was evening wear too if you had if you had a meeting during the day that was a formal event during the day you would not have worn a tuxedo you would have worn no. whatever a cutaway and that sort of oh stuff. god it drives me crazy nowadays that people wear tuxedos before five o'clock in the afternoon that's that's a topic for another show <laughs> you should be holding a drink when you say that i think <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, where are we going with this? I think David's point was that <laughs> back back when masonry was formed, things were, you know, if we want to go back to traditional masonry, should we all be wearing breeches and breeches and waistcoats and and etc.? Yeah. What's what's the marker or the timeline for traditional masonry, and what are we trying to get back to? Yes, maybe they met. Maybe that. Maybe you know, I'll I'll give you that. Maybe they dressed nicer. Probably, I'm sure they dressed nicer. And so things have been relaxed to some to, to a great extent, but what were they really meeting and talking about? I think we were, we were delved into a little bit in the last show. Were they really talking about the seriousness? Matt, Matt alluded to the idea of the education. He wanted to talk about the education piece and how what was masonry offering as far as education, and was it really the philosophies, and really was it mentorship and those kind of things, or was it the guy the guys that were already at that level talking amongst themselves did they really bring in and I, I have a note later we might get to it either in this show or another one about the the last article the guy talked about his dad being a sausage maker and i have a note that says well is it unfair to think that the sausage maker can't become a better man through masonry and that maybe is a whole different topic so what were they really talking about in the early 1800s or mid 1800s or late 1800s or early 1900s Again, what like you said, what is it, what are we driving back towards? I would 
myself, I would, and, and I, I know I always say this, is that look to your ritual. Because that's what we're going back to. We need to, that's what we need to go back to is when a period when ritual was the center of a Masonic meeting. Because in our ritual is the lessons that we're, we're trying to learn. And that anything that, you know, so this will come up later because we all know that what I've chosen is the next article. But, um, but yeah, so that, that's what I think is the, I think, because that's where we've flown, gotten away from what I consider the, the, the essence of Freemasonry is that we don't pay attention to the lessons that are expounded in our three degrees and our, and the ritual around it. So some kind of like what we're doing this season, right? We're, we're looking at maybe not the ritual specifically, but articles related to the ritual or to the ideas of who we are and what we maybe could be or should be and discussing those. So what we can maybe suppose was in the lodge in 1880 or lodge in 1910 was that, yeah, maybe they dressed a little more formally, which we might like to do. And they would, we would hope they would maybe have can either conduct a degree or uh, exemplify a degree or, and then have a discussion about what happened during that degree. And through those allegories, men could improve themselves. And, but weren't we looking at that those that were joining masonry at the time were already the higher quality men so we weren't allowing this maybe they weren't allowing the sausage maker in that and so did they really need to improve right i mean i guess that's what i'm trying to say was if you're already not to use masonic terms but if you're already a perfect bachelor how much more perfect can you get if that's you know they didn't call themselves perfect they called themselves imperfect so I, i'm trying to where what was the reason we were getting there why did why did they need masonry if they were already good well, I think you're con I, I think you might be confusing social status with um, uh, I don't want to say imperfection, but inherent goodness, inherent goodness. And I think that's that's okay. where Freemasonry comes in is that and I think I mean, to be sure, the fur a lot of the early lodges were a social like it. It was an organization to join because there were people that you wanted to associate with. But it was also the idea that I believe that you that people weren't that you you even though you were of a higher social status, there was still work you needed to do to improve yourself and the world around you. And so the the best way to do that would be to gather with like-minded people and discuss topics that you know would um, you may not necessarily agree with, but you can at least understand it better and have form a better opinion um, i would argue and and this is just my opinion but i would argue that what we don't need is to return to tradition what we need is to figure out the essence of masonry figure out what the 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 point is of this whole thing and go there you know whether or not it's what they talked about in 1717 or in 1920 or in in 1853 or whatever is kind of immaterial in my mind. If we want to, if we want masonry to succeed and to to make good men better and to to be a a group that people want to join, what we need to do is pursue that essence of masonry. Like you were talking about, Jared. In, even if it's not uh, 
So there's going to be a, a bit of heresy, but even if it's not through the ritual, <laughs> even if it's through some other mechanism or the you know ritual adjacent or whatever, making us better individuals is an important goal that I think is more important than whatever the tradition was of what, where we met or how we dressed or the, that's kind of my, so to put a soapbox on top of my soapbox, that's kind of my problem with the, the traditional observance movement is I think it's great. The, the essence of masonry that they are shooting for is really cool and great, but I think that some of the trappings are kind of not necessarily necessary. I, I, I probably just ticked off a lot of brothers, but there you go. Uh, it's what we need to do is figure out what we need to do is figure out what we want masonry to be and go there. And tradition is nice and all, and I'm not saying we should, you know, chuck the baby with the bathwater, but that's not the important part. And I think the idea too, that there's the, there's kind of two camps in that TO traditional observance idea in that there's the true traditional observant observers and they're in a, in a, a further, uh, further camp, <laughs> and then there's those that like the concepts of observance and being more focused on masonry and the elements, like Jared said, maybe the ritual. And I would agree that I think hopefully you all would agree that yeah, if you dress up, wear a tux or wear a suit, you're going to feel better about yourself. You're going to be in a better mind state usually. Unless it's a, you know, there, there also could be a barrier like, gosh, I can't afford a, a suit. Or I can't, I can't tie this tie. I can't, there could be some barriers, but then isn't it our, our opportunity to help that brother and say, hey, let me help you with that tie or let me, hey, I, I went over to this store and got this code or they got, you know, help them through the process of becoming a better man because we don't have the, the aristocratic levels anymore where you were kind of taught those as you were young growing up how to dress or how you should be or shouldn't act. And so I think we there's some elements of those things. So when you get a group of guys together that have not only are, are dressed in a certain way and have a certain mindset, then I would agree, like Jared said, that, yeah, they're going to get together and talk about things that they need to talk about and to improve themselves. And I'll argue with Matt that maybe it is through the concept of the ritual, the words of the ritual, but that gives us at least a basis to talk about things and yes, then it could then explore just like the show. We could <laughs> go off in tangents and explore other ideas. But if you have nothing else to start with, at least start with the ritual and then say, what do you think about that? And just the other day, I did an exercise with my mom, of all people. We, we don't normally have various philosophical conversations when I go to visit, but I'm going to call her out a little bit that she says, well, every day is a miracle, David. Everything's a miracle. When you wake up in the morning, it's a miracle. And I said, those are really wonderful things, Mother, but is it really a miracle? I said, what does the word miracle mean? And we kind of got this discussion, and then she got up out of her chair and walked behind me and came around the corner with a dictionary. And I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. Mom has never done that before. So she sat down, and she looked at the word miracle, and we got the definition of what the word miracle was. And there were several words in there, and I said, that's a great definition now. This is what we do, what things, something I've been taught through masonry I, and through this show, I'll be honest with you guys, it's, it's taught me to do more in-depth research. So now let's look up those words of the definition so we can learn what the words of the definition mean. And so we, then I, so then I expanded the definition. So then we got a real definition of the word miracle means because we had the definition of the definition. 
And I said, if you really want to go crazy, you could go one step further and look up some of those words of that definition to really understand what people are meaning by it. And so as she read that, she goes, oh, well, maybe it's not a miracle. I said, but it is a blessing. It is a gift. It is certain, uh, lots of other words, hundreds of other words that you could describe those experiences in your life, waking up in the morning or things happening. Miracle is a fascinating thing. It's an important thing, but the definition of miracle isn't that. So maybe the ritual and masonry are the foundational elements of what we can use then to learn more about life and learn about ourselves and each other. I'm sorry, that was entirely too profound. We have to <laughs> have to hit that out later. No, I, I I agree. It was it's yeah, exactly. If we want to if we want this organization to be important and important in men's lives, then that's what we need, not I'm floundering. I'll admit it. <laughs> so, um, flounder, me with, flounder me with floundering, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> so to get back to the article a bit, uh, one of the interesting things that he talks about is the that the current, and we talked about this again briefly in the last episode, the current Grand Lodge and Lodge structure is established for the millions of men that we no longer have that the, you know, when there were, um, you know, we could snap your fingers and, and find 15 guys to man the finance committee. Then, you know, it was great that we had a finance committee and a fundraising committee and a whatever committee and a whatever committee. But nowadays the fact that we don't have that many people, maybe we need to to right size as Jared said, and, and figure out where we need to be in that, uh, aspect of both Grand Lodge and your lodges. Did you, did you guys have have further thoughts about that, or I, I just I really found that interesting because I've I've said it before, actually in the context of my church that we our church does things that we used to do, and it was cool. It was great when we did them when again when we had eight times as many members and we could throw people at the problem. But nowadays, maybe we need to go. You know, maybe we need to let that go. Maybe that's not the the thing for us. Yeah, there are. And actually, there's a prime example up here in British Columbia is we used to have we had what was called the cancer car program, which mm -hmm. was run by Masons for people, you know, we got free rides to the hospital for people who couldn't get there. And because of our membership, it the Grand Lodge recently entered into an into a, an agreement with the Canadian Cancer Society to take that over for us because it's a large scale project that we just don't have the membership to do. And quite honestly, we shouldn't be in this business to begin with because there are organizations that are better set up to do it for us. And so, and, and admittedly, there's been some backlash about that, but it's, you know, it's, it's a step. It, it's, you know, looking at the various levels and projects that we've taken on, but back when we had five times as many members as we do now. And you couldn't swing a cat in a crowd without hitting a Mason or two. And now, you know, we need to look at, you know, do we actually have the ability to properly manage these, um, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Manage, manage these, not organizations, but manage these projects in a manner that is actually beneficial to the membership and not, just, you know, and, and not just an albatross around our necks. Long-time listeners will recall that we've had uh, actually had the 
uh, a couple of people from the cancer car program on the show. Uh, gosh, that was a couple of years ago, right? When I first joined, I think. So it's been a little while. But go back yeah. and listen to all the old episodes. It's in there. It's, it's one of those neat programs that, like you said, just it's, you can't sustain it. And if you had to start today again, as, as if, if the three of us were getting together to start a lodge or start a new Grand Lodge, is that the first thing we would do? No, we probably would focus on a ritual and focus on, I mean, again, maybe talk for another show, but I, I wrote another resolution while we were sitting in there in a communication <laughs> about the lodge inspection. We've been talking about the idea of lodge inspections, how much I am in love with that. And so I finally wrote a resolution about it and we'll present it. But, you know, what if it was the formation of a lodge so that we could have charitable outreach for communities? It's a great thing. And I think he alludes to that in this article that having charities and doing charitable work is important, but is that the focus of a lodge and Freemasonry? Exactly. exactly. I, I tell people when they join all the time that Masonry isn't a charity, but Masonry should make you as an individual want to be more charitable and to go out and do good things. And I think we, we lose sight of that a lot. We end up thinking that we're, we're a charity. Oh, so. Sorry, Jared, you were you had unmuted there for a second. Did you have something else to say? Or? No, I was just I was just going to agree with that, that. That large scale charitable projects are not something that we are designed. We we are structured for, and we should get out of them right now. Like, yeah, it 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 shouldn't be the focus. It it sometimes seems like it is, but it shouldn't be. That you know we should be educating people so that they feel that they can they want to go out and do that. But it shouldn't be what people join Freemasonry to do to begin with. Because they're, they're, quite honestly, once again, there's organizations out there that, that are way better organized and structured to do that. All right. So another idea from this article, although actually we're running out of time. So we'll talk about that idea later. Um, hopefully, hopefully there'll be a third episode where we can talk about some more of these things. Um, yeah. So on that note, if... Uh, again, if these uh, is a meaty topic, and if anybody has any thoughts, please do uh, drop them in our our various chat places and Facebook or wherever, and we're we're happy to discuss them and, and talk about them on a future episode, even. And with that, on behalf of Jared and David and, and the absent Steve and myself, thank you all for listening to the Working Tools podcast. Goodbye. Mm -hmm.